Dear God, thank you for each person here. Lord, we know that your heart beats for them, that you love them deeply and passionately. And I pray that in some small way, whether through the music or the message or just being with God's people, that they'll experience that, that they'll feel that. Lord, we lift up those who um, are at risk among us. We just ask for special protection for them uh, in this time of health crisis and just pray for your hand, uh, to be honest. We are grateful uh, in Alaska, comparatively speaking, it has not been as bad. But we continue to pray that you as the great physician, you as the healer, would squash uh, this pandemic. We just ask for that. Lord, we lift up our leaders, our political leaders, uh, in particular at these difficult times. We just ask that you would give them your wisdom and help them to make good decisions. We pray for unity as a country and the challenges that we face and just Lord, help us to walk through these seasons of difficulty together. And I just ask for your blessing on our time together and each person here. Lord, we do lift up these new families uh, with new babies. And uh, Lord, it's so exciting. We know every life is handcrafted by you, your masterpiece, your blessing. And you have uh, just put in them uh, just incredible worth and value as they reflect you. We thank you that every person matters. And Lord, we're just grateful for these little ones. We pray that you protect them, guide them, and help them to reach their full potential, a life that honors you and glorifies you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning, um, well, there is an outline in your bulletin. There's also an outline if you're watching online that you can uh, download and print out right there on our Facebook page. Uh, that's my learning style. If it's not yours, don't worry about it. But if it is yours, it helps to, it can be helpful to pull those out and have those scriptures in front of you and, and uh, just write those things out as, as it helps. There's something to me about writing that, that helps me to remember more. I want you to imagine this morning that Jesus Christ is standing in front of you and that he looks at you, right, just stares right in the eye and he simply says, wherever you are, I can work with that. I just want you to visualize him saying that. I want to read to you a passage that I think is powerful. It's Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 17. Hang with me, it's a longer passage. I'm only going to be able to unpack little bits of it because it has a lot there. But I think it's a powerful reminder and calling and challenge from the Apostle Paul to us believers. And here's what he says, because as Dave was talking about earlier, the idea of repentance. Repentance is not just something at the beginning of the Christian life. Repentance and turning towards God and walking out his holiness is something we do throughout the Christian life. It is an ongoing call to be a person who turns from the way we were to who God wants us to be. Notice the strong language in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 through 17. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And you're like, well, this is really, you know, 
a real blessing at this moment, right? It's a bit of a downer. It is. Uh, but understand, you have to acknowledge things before you can change things, right? And so he wants us to see what we're like in our sinfulness. I love the next line. You used to walk in these ways. See, that points to the possibility of change, of walking differently. In the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. So you're taking off, here's the image, taking off your old self, almost like a, an outfit, a change of clothes, and this is what the old life looked like. And then it turns a corner here and have put on the new self. And so there's a uniform for Christians. There's a different way of living. <clears throat> you put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian. Now, the Greeks viewed anybody who wasn't Greek as a barbarian. That was kind of their condescending uh, approach. The Scythians, slave or free. Now, Scythian probably doesn't mean much to you. It didn't mean much to me. Uh, basically, they were a nomadic people found in both Europe and Asia. And according to uh, theologian N.T. Wright, basically, um, for those, for instance, in this city, the city of Colossae, they would have viewed them as the people farthest from culture and civilization. And so notice what he's doing is Jesus is overcoming these barriers, these ways that we divide ourselves. Slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, and I think this verse, verse 12, gives us this metaphor and picture of taking off the old and putting on the new, like, a, like an outfit, a uniform, or a set of clothes. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's quite the bar, to forgive as God forgave us. And over all these virtues, put on love. That's what wraps it together. These are all different faces, different aspects of living out that commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And then you kind of have the, the closing line and what we're called to, which I would sum up in the word surrender. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, in our culture, the military is known by uniforms. I mean, you can see a military uniform and know, oh, that person's in the army or the navy. 
Nurses have uniforms that they wear. Policemen, police women have uniforms that they wear. And what Paul is doing here is he's saying, look, the old way of living kind of had a uniform when it comes to our character, and the new way of living, it has a uniform. Here's where we can look. Here's where we can see how a person changes and is different. And we'll be recognized by these parts of our uniform, by this new character we're to walk out. Now, we won't do it perfectly. We are saved by grace. But we are called to grow and to improve and to live differently. Matter of fact, Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 and 17, uh, these are the words of Jesus. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And so while we have to be very careful about being judgmental, I think we are, there's other passages besides this, I think we are allowed to look and to understand that the fruit of a person's life, the fruit of a person's life, will reveal where they are and where they're headed. And so we need to see this. You know, when Lazarus, who I think is a great image of the Christian life, Lazarus, the friend of Jesus who died and was in the tomb, you know, we're told in, our, in the scripture that at least morally, without Christ we are dead in our trespasses, dead in our, our sins. When Lazarus came out of the grave, and only Jesus could call him out of the grave, when that happened, he was wrapped in these grave clothes. And Jesus said something interesting. He said, so help him remove those grave clothes. And I think we all have some grave clothes on, even if you've been a Christian a long time, that you may need a little help removing And yet, ultimately, it is our choices. Ultimately, it's as we step forward where we begin to remove those. The theologians call it sanctification. You can call it spiritual formation, spiritual growth. The idea is that as time goes on, as you follow Jesus Christ, you begin to look more and more like his character. So, the first part of this passage, kind of the negative part, is to put to death your earthly nature. Colossians 3, 5, put to death. Notice the strong language. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Um, And idolatry is just putting something uh, above God. And so greed is about taking money or what money can buy and putting it above God in your life. And so this is a dark section of the passage And yet, as I said earlier, we cannot change what we don't acknowledge. A book that had a huge impact on me when I was in college was a book by Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who died in the Second World War because he opposed Nazi Germany, because he opposed Hitler. He was a German German who was living in the United States when the war broke out, a Lutheran theologian. And he actually went back because he felt called to go and lead the confessing church, those Christians who were willing to stand up to the state. And I loved his particular book and his story. Um, He died in one of the camps of the Second World War. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, 
one of the most crucial lines, a line that grabbed me, is this. It says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I think that's what this passage is about, put to death these aspects of our character, these ugly parts of what we've become. You see, the problem is, is when you have habitual sin, it becomes a real pattern and it gets harder and harder to overcome. But we are called to let that die. If you look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. So our old self, our sin-dominated self, and just as a surgeon will cut out a, a tumorous growth, a cancerous growth, just as a gardener will rip out weeds in a garden, we are called to put to death these aspects of our character that do not reflect Jesus Christ. And so this list of sins in this particular passage are not exhaustive. It's not every sin we could ever do, but it's representative um, I'm not going to unpack all of these. There's a lot here, but you see sexual sin, which has immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. You have greed and idolatry, which is a form of idolatry. You have anger, rage, and malice. You have sins of the tongue, which would include slander and filthy language and lies. Um, and when you look at a list like this, you may click through most of it and feel pretty good, but there's always going to be that one that you have to step back and assess where you're at, where we are. See, God created us for more. God created us to look more and more like Jesus Christ as life goes on. One author um, said this, it was Warren Wiersbe, and he said, when an unbeliever sins, he is a creature breaking the laws of the holy creator and judge. But when a Christian sins, he is a child of God breaking the loving heart of his father. And I thought that was a profound statement. In some ways, I mean, sin has profound impl uh, implications. In some ways, sin from a Christian is something we should take even more seriously. Because we have been redeemed. We have been given a Holy Spirit that lives within us and begins to change us from the inside out. And so when you look at a list like this, the question that must be asked is, do any of these mark your life? And I would encourage you to get along with God and talk about that. Or maybe you have a mentor or someone you look to or a sponsor. Because all of us can look more like Jesus. All of us can move forward. In one survey Mike Bayer put out, he asked people, do you believe that you are currently living your best life? And 81% said no. And I think most of us, that's the honest answer, right? Unless you're just right there at the, at the peak. All of us are called, if you look at a nature picture, a picture in nature, to be, instead of being caterpillars and living like a caterpillar and just living that selfish, eat, 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 just take it all in, take everything we can, and to become this beautiful butterfly, there's a metamorphosis, there's a change that happens in our lives that happens to the power of God. And even scientists step back and they look at that picture in nature and they're, they're like, what do we do with that? How does that work? 
We are not just to avoid sin, but we're actually to put on virtue. We're to move away from bad behaviors and move towards and practice behaviors that benefit others. So the second major idea, so we've got to put to death our earthly nature. The second major idea is to put on the new self, which I think you can sum up with the word love, that you walk it out in love. And as you look at this passage, as it turns from the negative to the positive, as it turns from these sinful actions to these blessings, these virtues that can be walked out, I think it's really the answer to the question, what does it look like What does it look like when an impossible God, when a God who can do the impossible steps into my brokenness and to your brokenness? That's what it looks like. He leads us in this transition from being dominated by sin to living lives of devotion to Jesus Christ. I encourage you, wherever you're at, to not just live in a way that is good enough, I know I've felt it, you probably felt it if you've been in the church a while, where you kind of hit a certain point and it just feels like, well, that's pretty good. I don't need to grow anymore. I don't need to stretch myself anymore. But there are these moments where you have to pound a stake into the ground and say, you know what, I'm going to move forward from here. I think of Elisha in the Old Testament. I love this scene where it's 1 Kings 19. And Elisha was a follower of God. He wasn't some person who was just defying God with his life. He's a follower of God. And Elijah, the great great prophet, comes and talks to Elisha. I wish they had names that were a little uh, less similar. Sometimes I get confused on who did what. But Elijah was first. He's this incredible prophet of God. He comes to Elisha and he calls him to a new life. He calls him to a life that's going to be different. See, Elisha had been a farmer. He was out there. He's plowing his field with the oxen. And when he calls him to this new life, Elisha takes, he slaughters the oxen and he burns the yokes. Kind of has like this farewell barbecue to his old life. Invites people over, feeds them. And Then he turns, and after he has made this stake in the ground, I'm done with this life. And it wasn't a bad life, but it was the next level. It was the next step. He turns, and he follows Elijah the prophet. And each of us is called at moments in our lives to say, you know what? Maybe I've had a good life. Maybe I've been doing some good. Maybe I've been following Jesus, but it's time to step it up. Time to take a new step, a strong break with a good enough life and become one who truly glorifies God. In Colossians 3.12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then down in verse 14, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love is the strong motivator, binds it together. Some of you might do quilts, and you you can have these sections of the quilt that are beautiful. And that's kind of what I think of when I see compassion and kindness and humility, these different sections of the quilt. But what makes a quilt whole, what makes a quilt work, What makes it effective is you bind it together, and that's the love. 
You bind these qualities, these virtues in a love that flows through you to others from God. In Isaiah chapter 35, verse 8, there's this image, and it says, And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. Jesus uses the image of a broad path to destruction and a narrow way to life. And I think that the narrow way in our culture, it kind of runs right through the middle of the broad path. Growing up, I used to think they were very separated. But the reality is we're in life with everybody around us. And so we're going through this broad uh, path that's all around us and we're walking a narrow way. A story I like to tell that I think illustrates this that helps me think about it was one time our family went on a picnic and we had floated, uh, we live uh, on Riverview and so we'd floated down to this picnic spot and uh, part of the family drove and so when we get done with the picnic, Maria and I, our, my daughter, uh, she and I decided to paddle up the Chena back to where we live. Now, the Chena is a fairly slow-moving river, you know, at least I viewed it as that until that day. That's hard to do, to paddle the wrong way up the river. And it was an interesting exercise because as we paddled up the river, you know, people are just floating past. They're making no effort at all. They're yelling out to us, you're going the wrong way, you know, things like that. Really helpful stuff. (laughs) Like we were confused. But notice, you can coast with the culture. But to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you got to paddle. Now, the Holy Spirit, you know, empowers us and helps us. But we were able to get back home. But for me, that's a picture of the narrow way in the midst of a broad path. I don't know where this comes from as far as a book, but I was in the Christian bookstore this week and I saw a quote that was attributed to C.S. Lewis and it said this, when the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. And I like that quote. Because when you look at our culture, you can look at sexuality, you can look at a lot of different uh, issues and attitudes And you'll see the culture going one way and the word of God and the people of God having to walk differently. And American Christians aren't as used to that as Christians around the world. That's what we're called to do. There's a song that we used to sing when I was a kid at church. Some of you who have a church background may recognize it, but I love the words. It simply says this, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay, mold me and make me after thy will, while I am waiting, yielded and still. While I am waiting, yielded and still. God is working on us. He is changing us. And he's not just changing us as individuals, but as a community of people, as his people, as his bride, that we are to think differently, believe differently, feel differently, uh, behave differently, and live differently than the world around us. Now, sometimes the culture lines up with what's laid out in the Scripture, but it's not often the case. You know, when you get married, many of you have gotten married, 
When you get married, you are set apart from others. You know, if you had a little black book of people that you dated and could call and and go hang out with, when you get married, you get rid of the little black book. You're set apart. That's what holiness is about. You're set apart to follow Jesus Christ. And so that's how we're to walk this out. I appreciate what Paul once told Timothy, who he was mentoring, this young man. He said that you need to train yourself to be godly. Have you thought about what's your training program? I mean, people who do MMA and karate, they train very intentionally. People who do sports train very intentionally. People who want to start a new profession, they'll go and train, whether it's an apprenticeship, whether it's a college degree, whether it's a trade school, they'll train themselves very intentionally. Are we training ourselves to be godly? And then he gives us all these parts of the Christian's character, and I can't unpack them all. We don't have the time for it, but just mention a couple. Focus on unity, not division. Notice in our text, uh, Colossians 3.11 Here there is no Gentile or Jew. See, they hated each other back in the day. Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Notice this focus on unity rather than division. Humans have a tendency to divide people by educational level or race or economic level or political party. And yet we're to see anyone in front of us, anyone on our Facebook feed as a person made in the image of God, as a person so valuable that Jesus Christ died for them. And so we want to be focused on unity, not division. You look and you see clothed with compassion, which is really just, you know, that first one, unity, not division, that's really just an inclusive love, a love that we offer to people that even we disagree with. We also see clothed with compassion. That's just a love for the hurting, those that are hurting in some way. They're sick or, or they're struggling financially or whatever it might be. Kindness. We see a great example. This is just a practical love. We see this in the Old Testament where King David, he's now firmly in control. He's the king. And in ancient times, what you do if you're the king is you go make sure that everybody who was part of the family of the king before you is dead because you don't want them to have a claim on your throne. But what does David do? He does the opposite as a follower of God. He remembers his friendship with Jonathan, the son of the first king of Israel, Saul, and he says, is there anybody of Saul's house that I can show kindness to? And there was a man named Mephibosheth, and David invites him in. He was, he was disabled. David invites him to his table, and he ate at the king's table, and David offered him kindness. See, that's not what the culture would have recommended. There's humility. That's just loving others, even above yourself. There's gentleness. That's just um, love in our interactions. There's patience. That's just a long-suffering love. There's peace, which is knowing that you're loved by God. There's thankfulness, which I think thankfulness is basically, I love the quote from Thomas Merton who said this, he said, to be grateful is to recognize the love of God in everything. So it's just to see the love of God. I want to unpack thankfulness just a little bit 
Because I think it's emphasized by Paul here. Notice in our text, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. Watch for the word thankful or grateful or gratitude. And remember that you repeat whatever's important. He says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in their hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And so in a short stretch of just a couple verses, the Apostle Paul tells us to be thankful three times. Three times to see the love of God in everything. The classic story in the Gospels is found in Luke 17 of Jesus Christ and he heals uh, ten lepers. Leprosy is a terrible disease. It's where your nerve endings don't work right and you don't feel pain. And so what would happen is that when you are a leper is that you begin to destroy yourself because whereas you or I, if, if my ankle hurts, I will limp to protect my ankle. But if you're a leper, you don't feel pain. So you just, you'll run top speed and you won't understand. You or I, if we reach out and we touch a pot on the stove and it's hot, we immediately pull back because our hand registers the pain, but a leper's hand doesn't register the pain. So they pick it up anyway and burn and scald their, their hands. And the lepers would, this, this is terrible and sorry, but like they would go to sleep at night and a rodent can come and, and gnaw on their finger and take their finger off at night. You and I would jump at the first bite, but a leper could lose his finger at night because of a rodent. And so, these lepers had a terrible life. And they come to Jesus, they're desperate, and he says, go and see the priest, because that was the method to be declared cleansed. And they go to the priest, and on the way, they're all healed. And only one comes back to Jesus, takes the time to come and say, thank you. And so Paul is telling us in this particular passage three times, in my opinion, to be the one. To see the love of God in your life wherever it shows up. Every good gift in your life is from above, the scripture tells us. We have a tendency when bad things happen to us to say, why did this happen to me? You know, I don't deserve this. And it hit me years ago. I thought, you know, because I would, I would kind of go down that road. And it hit me, the reality is, what do I deserve? Well, when it comes to a holy God who hates and despises sin, and me as a sinner, and sin is rebellion, what I deserve from God is to be cast out of his presence forever in a place called hell. So I don't want to approach God and ask for what I deserve. I want grace. I want mercy. I want unlimited kindness from him. And so everything good in your life is an incredible blessing. Because when good things happen to us, we don't stop and go, well, why did that happen? Well, of course good things happen to me. You know, I'm a great lady or great guy. That's what we think. Understand all of us if we're in Christ, we're getting more than we ever possibly 
deserve. Gratitude is about looking at your past with fresh eyes, about what has God done in my life, looking at your present and saying, what is God doing right now? And looking to the future and saying, what is God going to do? And embracing that. I'm amazed how gratitude can rise up in even the most scary moments when you realize all of a sudden what you have. Author Craig Groeschel, who's a pastor, talks about, they live in Oklahoma, they have six children, and they decided, let's have a great family vacation. They drove from Oklahoma to Florida to go to the beach and, and do different things in Florida. He said, we were going to have about a week in Florida. You know, there's a lot of drive time with six small children. Some of you have done that, long trips with small children. And he said, we're going to have about a week. And he said, I kid you not, it rained every day. And he said, finally, like the last day, we had a day that was decent enough to go to the beach. He said, it wasn't great, but it was decent enough. And he said, they go to the beach with their six small children. And he said, you know, two parents, six small children, the ocean. These kids are not, you know, necessarily amazing swimmers. And he said, so, you know, we're just real vigilant watching. And he said, at one point, I realize our son, one of our sons is not there. I don't see him. And I, he turns to his wife. She doesn't see him. Neither one knows where he is. They start to freak out. This is the ocean. What's happened? Did he get pulled in an undertow? What's going on? And they start calling his name. They and the other kids are looking for him. He's not there. Other people start to help. And after several minutes, which feel like an eternity, the little boy comes up over a sand dune and he had had to go to the bathroom and saw a tree way over here and went to the restroom but didn't tell anybody he'd left and they both missed him going. And Craig Groeschel said, you know, he said at that moment it hit me. He said, I'm so grateful for what I have. And whether it rained or didn't rain, whether it was the perfect vacation or not the perfect vacation, that is it's just nothing. And so it's amazing how, as we go through life, there are moments that remind us to be grateful for how we've been blessed. I think all of this points to this idea of a life of surrender to God, a life that is lived for Him, a life where we are now more about God's glory than our own advancement. God does not want you just to survive this life. He wants you to thrive in this life and live in a way that points to him and his son. So I just want to leave you with the big idea, and that's this. Take off lust, which I think most of these sins kind of line up in that. The lust for more, the lust for pleasure, uh, the lust for sexual pleasure. You look at all these, these sins. Let's take off lust and let's put on love. Let's take off death and let's put on life. That's what God invites us to. That's what he calls us to. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for each person here. I thank you for what you've done in our lives. I thank you for the changes that have been made so far. But I pray that today would be a moment to drive a stake in the ground and to find one area where it's time to move forward, where it's time to move on. We invite your spirit to nudge us in that area, to call us forward in our character.
to help us become like your son, to be like Christ. This is our prayer in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.